Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to your latest edition of the Gelsnet Podcast, the independent Rangers podcast made by fans for fans, and all content is free. Hosted this evening by myself, Craig Gray, to discuss another interesting weekend uh, in the life of Rangers Football Club after our 2-1 victory over Ross County yesterday. Not the greatest performance in the world, um, certainly not after um, a terrific display midweek at Tynecastle, but... Um, it's job done in chips and him, as some people might say. Um, tonight, we're joined by, first of all, journalist and author of Going For 55, Mr Chris Jack. How are you doing, mate? Not too bad, Chris. How's things? Ah, not too bad. It's uh, Sunday, back to normality tomorrow, so as good as feeling can can be for that anyway. And uh, also joining us tonight, the newly crowned king of Ibrox Hospitality, I think it's fair to say, Mr Gary Valentine. Gary, how are you doing, mate? I'm not bad, mate. As I was saying to the guys at my work, I just got the big games. My last game was the UEFA Cup final, so <laughs> hopefully it's a better, a better outcome. A big, big game, Gary, that's what they're calling me. <laughs> Uh, hopefully that is a bigger one indeed. Now, just before we get stuck in, guys, um, just want to give a little um, shout out from our sponsors, which is Forest Precision Engineering. Um, and they are a subcontract Glasgow-based engineering company who have been a big commercial supporter of Rangers for many years. And we're absolutely delighted that they're back in our podcast. You can get them over at www.forestprecisioneng.com. And you can also visit the Forest Precision Executive Lounge, a stunning new hospitality area within the historic main stand. For more information on how to book this unique and intimate space, you can email the club via hospitality at rangers.co.uk. Well, as we said, guys, we're, we're obviously here to discuss mostly the, um, the victory over um, Ross County yesterday. Um, not the greatest performance of the, the season, Chris, but like we said earlier, it was job done, wasn't it? It's... Three points and up the road. I think that's all we can all we can say about it. I think after being so impressive at Tynecastle in midweek, I thought Saturday would be the time the Ibrox crowd got the performance they've been waiting on, got the performance that they probably deserved. We've had to sit through a fair few you know, dull ones over the last over the last three weeks. Uh, you can't you can't argue with the with the record in terms of the results. Performances at times have, haven't really been there, and I, I think that was the case on. The case on Saturday never really got going in the in the first half, um, and I thought after they got the goal at a great time that was a broken Ross County spirit. Second half came out, get the second goal that we all know is, is so important in these games, and then just motor on from there. But again, that never really never really materialised. Lose a really sloppy goal, um, win it with a big slice of luck. I think the Rangers probably deserved. I don't think they deserved to drop anything on the on the day they were dominant in terms of possession. Had had enough chances to win it. I don't think you can argue with the with the outcome, um, but not a not an afternoon that will live long in the memory. No, um, it certainly won't be one to to look back on uh, in a few years' time. Anyway, Chris, you're right there. Um, Gary, um, what was your thoughts in the game then? Yeah, well, I was thinking it was the, the good, the bad, and ugly. The, the good <laughs> being that first goal, it was an absolute crack and play. Um, just what we kind of want to see more of. The bad was the defensiveness uh, laps to give them the, the corner kick and then absolute disaster by McLaughlin and then the ugly was the deflected free kick to get the three points so it was a, it was a bit of everything but yeah but it wasn't pretty but when we, we end up winning the league at the end of the year that'll be a big three points No I think you're right Chris um, obviously spoke there about Gary sorry Gary spoke there about that that first goal being the good out of the, 
um, the three that he mentioned there. I mean, it was a great goal. The, the sort of build-up play, Morelos to Tillman, uh, not to Tillman, sorry, he got in the end of it. Morelos to Todd Cantwell, um, got his cross in for Tillman. Two goals in two games for him. And for Cantwell, you know, it's good for him to finally get off the mark and get a, a start on the board in some way, isn't it? I think all three players is really what you want to see from them. You want to see Morelos being able to link up the player, a player like that and hold defenders off and play those being eight balls. You want to see Cantwell showing that ambition to get beyond people, to get himself into the box. Again, I thought he showed great footwork to, to get drink away from the defender. Think a lovely ball in. And you want to see Tillman, like I did in midweek, getting on the end of these things. I think that's eight goals for the season now for, mm. uh, for Tillman. Um, and he's turned into a really important and really impressive player for us. So, I think it was a goal that can summed up the good of Rangers on the day. A nice move, nice finish. As I said earlier on, just a frustrating thing that didn't then well, they kick on from it like I felt they really should have. No, and, and Gary, why why do you think that is it? Ibrox this season anyway well under Bill, it doesn't seem like we are kicking on you know we're sort of stopping and starting I think probably off the top of my head the best performance at home since he's came in was at 3-0 against Motherwell maybe um, I thought last week against St Johnson I actually thought we were good but we just didn't really take our chances but we didn't really kill them off you know it's like you get the second goal and then you kind of just sit off and, and you, you try and see at the three points why do you think they've not really went for the juggernaut at Ibrox so far? I think there's quite a few reasons that like killing off teams is is the main one. I think that the way teams might play against us Ibrox, um so eleven men behind the ball, it's harder to break down. That gets the crowd frustrated, which I think maybe carries on to the park. Um as as Bill said on uh, on Wednesday after the performance at Hearts, when teams are going at you and there's more space, it allows us to to play a bit. So I don't think we get that opportunity as much at Ibrox. Uh if we'd maybe got that second goal um, before they equalised, I think they'd maybe heads would go down and things like maybe get another couple of goals. But it's just killing off teams and not taking your chances. I think it's killing us. Yeah, I think you've, you've made a point there about sort of just not taking chances. Um, I think Michael Beale kind of alluded to it yesterday about the three games in, in one week, Chris, and you know, we've, we've seen this a couple of times now when Bill's been in the, this whole three game period in the space of a week, and maybe the performances aren't great, but the results are there. That's um, 12 games now for Bill, 11 wins out of 12. It's been, you know, apart from one game, obviously pretty much the perfect start. How, how would you assess him overall um, as uh, the Rangers boss, Chris? Uh, I know Michael speaks about being performance happy and uh, results happy. I think performance wise, not overly happy. Results wise, I think you have to be pleased with it. Now, an old firm game is is one that they should have won. That goes down as a as a missed opportunity and a bit of a sore one. Apart from that, they've done everything else that's been asked of them. Um, the record that Ibrox is is obviously fine. Um, a couple of tricky away games in there that have negotiated. Tinkas was very impressive and stands out as the as the best of a lot. Um, I think the transfer business, which I know we'll come on to later on, I thought yeah, that was good in terms of getting Raskin and Cantwell in. But I think o- overall, and if you had to lay out how you thought his first couple of months would go, so apart from that old firm game, it's, it's always been as, as good as could be expected. No, I, I think you're, you're absolutely spot on there. Gary, um, would you um, feel the same? Yeah, all I can do is win football matches. And uh, they can be drab 1-0s for our care as long as he wins games. Um, we've kind of been there before saying even under Gerrard I kind of felt a lot of people were saying that we're playing well but as I, I keep drumming back they've only won one trophy in four years 
kind of play dull football all you want, but it's all about winning at the end of the day. No, you're right. And um, Gary, something that Chris touched on earlier um, was, you know, that that sort of the ability to win. And, you know, one thing that I've kind of been thinking about recently with Bill is that, um, you know, but we're starting to get those little sort of breaks of the ball, those bits of, a wee, wee bits of luck that you kind of need. Not to say that the results are lucky, but sometimes you need it. And I mean, we look at the other side of the city, even if you, the game a couple of weeks ago, the semi-final, Kilmarnock, Kyle Lafferty, he's kicked the ball off Maeda's face and it's went in, or his hand, depending on who you speak to. <laughs> um, you know, it, it seems that this season especially, Celtic have gotten just lots of breaks of the ball and we haven't really got that so far this year, those wee bits of luck that you need. And it's not to say that Celtic, you know, have been lucky all season because they haven't been, they've been the best team in the league, but you still need those wee bits of luck to go for you. And I don't think it summed it up more than, than that second goal yesterday, to be honest. You know, the free kick, um, you know, it's not the best free kick it comes off the wall, but I, I don't think you've probably no celebrated a, a free kick coming off the, the wall as much like that as you did yesterday. And, Barisic was funny in uh, the, the press conference that he'd done afterwards. Someone asked him, um, were you aiming for that corner? And he said, I won't tell you um, where it was aiming for. I think it probably wasn't aiming for the corner that he ended up scoring in. But in terms of those wee bits of luck, Gary, like yesterday, how important is that for a manager to have that? Because as, you, as we've said, the performances, they're not quite there, but we're getting results and we're getting big results against big teams in the tricky venues. I think, uh, is Gary broke up there, Chris? I'm just wondering if it's me. No, I was thinking it was me as well, but I'm, <laughs> I'm making sure I'm all, I'm, all, I'm all plugged in and good to go. Is so. this time I think the players believe in what deals oh, already there. Oh, no, he's away again. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I think, um, right, we'll, we'll just um, leave it in Gary now. We can leave it at his mugshot there and hopefully hopefully comes back soon. But um, can I sort of just take, continue on that point then that we're making? I mean, how, how important is it for a, a Rangers manager just to have those wee bit, bits of luck going in your favour from, from now and again? When you started asking that question, Craig, I thought you were going to call Ange Postacoglu a lucky man. He doesn't like that type of thing. Oh, no. I mean, we all like the verve, but, but not a lucky man. <laughs> uh, I, I think the... I was trying to try to think the best way to put it. You, you don't want to be known as just a lucky manager who's getting lucky breaks all the time, but it has to have a part to play in it. I think if you look back at, at Gio's reign, he was quite an unlucky manager just for how certain results fell, refereeing decisions, injuries clearly played a huge part in that. I don't think Gio is a bad manager. I don't think he was overall a bad Rangers manager. I think he's quite an, an unlucky Rangers manager. And if Michael Beale can be a good Rangers manager and a lucky manager, if you like, he's certainly then on the right, on the right track. I think the team have shown uh, a bit of grit, a bit of determination to be able to grind out wins, even when they're not playing well. Again, that's a quality that you have to have. I think that's something that Michael certainly certainly knows. Um, so I think the overall, out of the first dozen games, in terms of really, really good performances, maybe picking two, two or three, but the results speak for themselves. Um, and it's just a shame that as as the momentum has built and as these as these results have have get ticked over over the weeks. There's been no no fault across the city and Celtic have also kept up their run. If they just managed to eat into it a wee bit three, four, five weeks ago, it made it really interesting in this run heading up to the cup final and then heading into the next old firm game. As, as it stands, it doesn't look like it's it's going to happen. Um 
Michael can do is hold up his end of the bargain, win as many games between now and the end of the season as he can, and then see what the league table says. But it would be interesting if they just managed to nick something off them uh, in, in the old firm game, and then maybe one other apart from that, just to see how both sides were reacted to that kind of change in the they could change in the balance. Yeah, I, I, I feel you when when you say that, Chris. I mean, kind of off topic though. In, in terms of the the sort of championship race, if if you even want to call it that, just now. I mean, I mentioned last week that that sort of week or so in November, sort of jails last week, the the loss to to Ross County, and then after beating Hearts, the the draw with St Mirren. We needed three wins at a three win at all costs, and it was four points at a nine, um, five points. Um, you know, if it's four points going in with two old firm games to, to go, then it's all to play for. And I think, I, I don't know, I, I was kind of thinking, you know, off off the top of my head that this week I felt that we, we need Celtic to be dropping points soon. You know, I, I think it, it's getting to a point now where if they win maybe their next six, seven or eight games, something like that, obviously that includes games against us, then the league is going to be mathematically finished. So... Um, they need to be dropping points soon. I, I'm hopeful, and I, you know, that they can drop points soon. But for me, it needs to be before that old fun game. Um, is it the start of March, start uh, start of April? Sorry, um, at Celtic Park. Um, because I think we need to put this Celtic team under pressure. You know, and 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 sort of see what happens. I think if we both match each other's results up until then, even if we win at Celtic Park, six points, we won old fun game to go you're still needing them to draw twice and us to pick up maximum points as well. So I think even then Celtic might not feel the pressure, but if you can go in there with maybe Celtic dropping points before and we either take it to four points or three points if we can win that game at Celtic Park, we won't for them to, get, um, to play for. You know, it's it's there and, you know, you never know what can happen. Uh, so I think it's interesting if, if the gap had been reduced even just by a couple of points before now, um, I think we can maybe say that there might just be something in it, but I think we're, we're almost going into every game knowing as soon as Rangers drop points, that's it, it's done and dusted. Yeah. It could easily have been a Tyne Castle in midweek that everybody thought, oh, Tyne Castle, hearts are going well, there's potentially a draw in here, if Rangers go 11 behind, it's done. But they've come through challenges like that, and they've come through the, the Hibs and Aberdeen games right at the start of Michael Beale's reign, coming through Tyne Castle, some fairly kind of stodgy games at Ibrooks. They have come unstuck in previously, think back to the Livingston game, obviously, uh, earlier on in the season. They have overcome these challenges and they have shown now that they can put together a consistent run of form. Um, but the manager said the other day there, it's it's only a start. Come back to me when they've done it over 20 games, 30 games, 40 games. Then you can maybe say this squad has actually got it in them to, to put together a proper proper title challenge. Um, like you say, Craig, I, I think the games are, are running out for Rangers now, unfortunately. They've They've done their bit. They've held up their end of the bargain. But Celtic just keep just keep ticking them off. Um, going up to St Johnston, every day coming off, they can't wait a, a comfortable win. It's just another small hurdle. It's another another game won, another week towards the end of the season. Um, and as much as Rangers are doing what they can do, I just don't see Celtic stumbling in the in the manner that it would it would take just to give us even the slightest bit of hope. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things. Unfortunately, you know, I, I think if we remember a couple of seasons ago when it got into that sort of January period, more so after the the Celtic game on the second of January, it's, you know, up at Pataudry, just one Easter Road, just one, you know, even home games against the likes of St Johnson, Comarnock, where it's taken 
crackers of goals from Hadji and, and Ryan Jack, if you remember the, the one that he scored um, at home to Kelly mm-hmm. to do it. And you're just thinking, you know, one game ticked off, one game ticked off, one game ticked off until obviously um, it, it eventually happens. I mean, in, in terms of, you know, what Bill needs to achieve this year, we all know that coming in, it's going to be difficult to win the league anyway. The two cups were always going to be the, um, oh, there's Gary. Gary, you okay? Hi. Who's I give us today these live? I um I know why the the power of live uh, internet television YouTube whatever it's you want to call it. Armstrong has the bother with his laptop, but anyway, we'll <laughs> the club. I know model technology. No, it's all right. It's just uh, it's one of these things. He's back after being away again. Um, they're just sort of discussing there, Gary. I don't know um if you heard that. Um, you know, the form that Rangers need to be in now to to possibly mount some sort of title challenge. I mean, it's obviously going to be very, very difficult given the form that Celtic are in. It just doesn't look like they're going to be um, dropping any points soon. I, I did allude to it there with Chris that I, I, I felt coming into the next old old firm game in the league in April at Celtic Park, ideally you're wanting Celtic to be dropping points before them because I think if we go into that and win it and we're, that takes us to six points, I think we're about what, seven or eight games to go. I don't really think they would feel the pressure, but I personally think if you can maybe get them down to three or four points where an old firm game left to play at, play at Ibrox, it's really a case of winning that and then if they slip up once, you know, it could happen. So what's kind of your thoughts on, on that possible scenario? Yeah, I agree. I, I don't even think that, as I said, they, they need to lose. I think a, a, a draw before that game would, would certainly give them something to think about. Um, at the end of the day, we're, we're kind of in a, an impossible position because deals inherit. He's no breaking up again, is he? Gap. So all he can do is win games. And just gonna keep... there's, there's much we can do. Oh, no, 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 no. Molly, you still with me? I, no, you just, uh, you sort of just, like, done a weird movement there, like, froze or unfroze for a second. It was like, you know, you were trying to be Simon Cowell when he was freezing himself after he dies. But, um, no, uh, we'll <laughs> move on anyway, right? Um, Chris, Borna Barisic um, is someone that I wanted to speak about. Obviously, he gets a winner yesterday. You know, I think it's maybe a wee bit cheeky to say that he got it because it was never going in, but fair enough. We won't. I like Borna. I think he's a, he's a nice guy. And, you know, I'm sure he'll be delighted for his, his goal bonus that he's uh, got that winner yesterday. Um, I think his performances since people's came back have been brilliant. I think he's been one of the most consistent players in the team. He's provided that balance since he came in. Um, I think it was the Mullerwell game. Um, he came in for the 3-0 one just before um, New Year. Um, I think he's been great. Bill um, said yesterday there was no update on Yilmaz. He was quite sort of straight and direct with that answer, which I found a wee bit weird because I think it was only last week, it was, or the week before, he was saying you know he might be three, four weeks away from, from getting back in. And then when someone asked for an update, it was just, no, there's no update. So you're hopeful that obviously there's not an issue there with Yilmaz, but how how big a player has Borna Barisic been recently? I think you summed it up well there, Craig. I think he has been really impressive since uh, since Michael came in. Um, I think the the way the team's set up now suits him a lot more um, than it did under the duo. Uh, we spoke to him. I think it was in the mix zone after the after the Hamden game, um, and I'm sure he, he made that point himself. Of he's obviously working under a manager he's uh, worked with previously, but just the way that Bill likes to play, obviously very similar to the way that the team played under uh, Bill and uh, Stephen Gerrard a few years ago. And that, that system and that, that way of playing 
relied heavily on the fullbacks. The fullbacks got good numbers. The fullbacks were really heavily involved in the in the game. Um, and I think you're you're seeing the benefit of just you no know, again tactical switch has really allowed Bonner to really come into the game. Um, I thought he was excellent at the Castle midweek, um, as was everybody. But I thought thought he had a good game down that down that side yesterday. Again, very solid defensively. Uh, good going forward, gets his goal. Um, I thought his goal up at St John's a couple of weeks ago was an absolute cracker. He took that really, really well, um, especially considering the fact that he swiped at a couple at Hamden just a couple of days before and didn't even hit the corner flag with him. So I thought that was a really accomplished finish up at up at McDermott Park. Um, and I'm actually quite pleased for him because, as you say, he is, a, he is a smashing guy. He's always good to talk to. I think he's one of the guys in the squad that, that gets it. He understands the pressure of Rangers. He gets what the club means to the fans and how important it is to win. I think he really wants to, to win more here. Um, so I'm pleased in a, in a personal point of view that he's, I know he has taken a bit of stick at times and people thought that this would be the season he would be uh, taking out a team in Yamaha's would come in and he could take his place. And for one reason or the other, that's not quite happened. Um, and if we can see the best of Borna over the next few weeks, even once Yamaha's is fit, if he can get himself fit over the next month or so, he's going to have a bit of a challenge to get himself back in that back in the side now. No, I agree with you, Chris and Gary. I think that's the way it should be. I know Barisic has taken a lot of stick. And to be honest, a lot of the stick that he's taken has probably been deserved. I mean, it, you know, it's Rangers, so when you make mistakes, it's just one of those things you're going to be in the firing line, unfortunately. But I think over his sort of, what, four, four and a half or so years that he's been here, I think Borna Barisic has contributed more good than he has bad. Um, but... How important is it to have that sort of two players, two quality players for every position? Because we're seeing it right now across the other side of the city. How important that is. And if you look at, again, we, we all keep going back to this, but I think it's true that the year that we won the league, um, we had two players pretty much for every position and, and we could rotate. Even at left back, if Barisic wasn't playing, it was Bassett that came in. If uh, Tav wasn't playing, it was Patterson that was coming in. Um, you know, we had Balligan and Hollander kind of rotate. McGregor and McLaughlin um, were, were, were brilliant. So how, how important is it to have those two quality posi- uh, players in every position going forward? Uh, it's good for the, the fact that it gives the, the players something to like, aim for for a good performance because I know that there's somebody coming in behind them. But, um, at the same time, if they're not playing well, you know there's somebody equal ability that's coming in and it's not like an academy player or a squad player that you usually wouldn't start but the sounds of it being seen he's wanting to have a squad of 22 players who are all equal ability and that's to me that's the way that we should be going uh, touching on Barisic like what before their um, before their money's worth for him he's a it was a two and a half million pound who spent on him he's had some cracking games I totally get some of the criticism that's been levied his way um, sometimes he's not been consistent enough but he certainly seems to thrive in the uh, the shape that Bill wants to play and the tactics he wants to play. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, hopefully we can we can see the best of Borna Barisic going forward um, for the rest of the season. Um, so moving on, then we're going to talk about uh, the transfer business. Um, obviously, we brought in Cantwell and Raskin in the January transfer window. Um, Chris, I'll start with you in terms of you know the players as a whole. Um, I want to speak about Todd Cantwell first. Um, as we mentioned earlier, he got his, his assist yesterday. That might actually be his first assist in, well, I don't even want to say how long looking at his transfer market stats, but I think he started really well at Rangers. I thought he, he looked great against um, St. Johnson last week. I thought when he came on at Tynecastle, he drew something like three fouls in, in the space of five minutes or something like that. Um, 
how how impressed have you been with him so far? No, I think he's I think he started really well. I think he's the type of type of midfield option that the squad was lacking, and the, the type of player that you know, the team needed to uh, just almost take them on a level. They needed someone that's got that with eye for a pass, and someone to almost take a wee bit of the, the attacking uh, burden off of Kent and Tillman, um, and just provide that something a wee bit different. But he was really unlucky with the shot that he had in the, the first half. He breaks him at the edge of the box, and he curling when it just clipped the. I just cut the bar. If that had gone in, had been quite the way to, uh, to open his account. Um, last last week against fairly again, it was a, not exactly a classic against uh, uh, St John's at Ibrox, but I thought he did well coming off the bench at Tynecastle. Showed some nice wee touches, and um, I thought he handled like a Tynecastle atmosphere and occasion well as well. Which I think for, for his type of player, it can maybe be a bit of a like a culture shock coming up and not getting thrown straight into Tynecastle after only. After only a week or so, but I think so far he's been he's been really impressive, um, and he's he, he's also of a good age and a good profile. He's coming up. I think he's played more than 150 games at good levels down south, also the championship and and Premier League. He's not a guy who's just straight out of an academy, and you're asking a lot from really early early on his his career. Um, so I think he ticks a lot of boxes. Um, it should prove to be a really a shrewd bit of business from Rangers. No, I agree. I certainly hope he will be. Um, Gary, we obviously brought in Raskin as well. He made his debut yesterday. As we kind of mentioned um, off air before we came on, we thought he, we thought he looked okay. Obviously, he was only on for about five five minutes or so, so you can't really get a, a good for a picture of him. But it is a profile that, that we should be signing in terms of Cantwell and Raskin. And I think Raskin, you know, on the face of it anyway, I think he's going to provide a a lot of solutions to problems that we've been having probably for maybe the last year or so. I, I'd go as far as to say it's been since uh, Gerard first came in. Um, we've basically signed a squad of players who have played every single game, if not 90% of the games, barring a, a couple of other players, Hellander, Lundstrom, Hadji. Mm. Other than that, that's the squad of players we've, we've had is the ones that have been your your, your strongest eleven, your starters most weeks. So it's uh, it's good to see that we're finally signing guys to improve our start eleven. So I think that's been something we've we've not really been focused on. It's been like for like squad players that have, have kind of been going around the revolving door. Mm-hmm. So uh, the things that Bill's saying about wanting players to improve the eleven, improve the squad, it's, it's about time because I I've been sharing this frustration for a good few years that we just want to improve their start eleven. So I think you yeah, can't really ask me definitely the. the the right road that we're going down, and hopefully we, we continue with that. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, Chris, obviously, we're, we're looking at a couple more players um, in the January window. I think Morgan Whitaker was obviously the name on on everyone's lips. I mean, this is a wee bit off agenda, but do you, do you know quite the, the full story in terms of, of what happened with, with him in, in terms of that deal not being done? No, the Whitaker one was, was really strange because the manager spoke yeah. at, at length. He was happy to speak about uh, also Cantwell, he spoke about Raskin. He, I think the Raskin and uh, stuff came on the day that he said, I'm not speaking about transfers. And he then spoke about transfers for about 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but the Whitaker one, he, he was always quite kind of coy on that. Um, like uh, When it was Russell Martin that said it was Rangers that had the bid rejected, I think it was down at Rugby Park, he always gave bristled at that and said, well, if Russell Martin says it, then it's, it's true almost. Uh, I put St. Johnson 
it was a day that uh, uh, Whitaker goes in the Swansea squad that afternoon. That's right. Yeah. Said, oh, that's the first I've heard of that. Now, th- these things he must have known about. He must have known what stage various bids were at. He must have known a guy who he was interested in signing was in the squad or not in the squad. I would have thought. Um, so the, the Whitaker one, even just how Michael handled it, was, was different from the rest of them. Um, personally, I didn't really see what the first was about. Uh, I think a, a player who had the first half of the season at Plymouth, who by all regards had a, had a very good first half of the season, I'm not convinced that he was going to come in and be as good as we as, as we need him to be. Now, Michael spoke about signing players that are going to improve the starting eleven. Does Whitaker come straight in and improve the starting eleven with the options that we've got? You see how the players we've already got are playing, the likes of Bruce still to come back, Hadji still to come back. I'm not I'm not convinced. I think the business that they did do in terms of getting the two guys in that they, they managed to get over the line, I think that, that represents a good, solid first window and save the bigger rebuild for the summer. Um, when you know you've also made decisions on how to contract guys, there'll be guys that will naturally move on, squad players will fall away, you'll then have a clearer idea of what you've got in terms of a, a core of a squad and then go and try and add to it. So I'm not really that disappointed that there wasn't any, anything else done in the in the second half or in that, in that last few days of the, of the January window. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm pretty pleased with how the window ended up in terms of the, the standard and profile of player that we signed. Um, I, I will admit that I was quite worried when Bale got the job because it was, you know, November. How how can you plan properly for January? And I kind of did have a feeling that, you know, it might have been three signings and loans to get us sort of over over the line and try and, you know, get us in a, a reasonable shape come the end of the season. But... Um, Michael Beale quickly put that to bed um, in terms of, you know, saying that he wants to bring in a certain type of player that will improve the, the starting eleven. Gary, I think it's interesting this whole, and I know I've just mentioned it there, the only bringing in players to improve the starting eleven because ideally, yes, but we know that in football you need varying degrees of players, you know. I mean, people moan about guys like Scott Wright, but I think Scott, like someone like Scott Wright, Sakali even, you need these guys to be part of a, a squad overall, do you know what I mean? Um, I know you mentioned earlier the whole Bill wants 22 quality players for every position, all that. In an ideal world, um, that would be great, but realistically, it's not really going to happen. Um, I, ju- I just think, you know, sometimes people can get a wee bit carried away. Um, but I will admit, if, if you offered me that window um, in November when Bill got a Pointed in terms of the two players that we signed, I would have probably taken it. I just feel that maybe the one thing that annoyed me was probably the time in terms of how long it took to to sign these players. Yeah, I think there's definitely got to be a balance. Let's not we'll kid ourselves on, but we're at a, a stage in the nineties where we had Gascoigne, Lydrop, and Gary Bowen on the same changing room. So you've got Bring to sign. Uh, you've got to sign lesser players um, to build a squad. I totally get that. Still need project players, players to maybe gamble on that uh, you might see some potential in, such as Bassi, for example, Aribo, players like this. So, yeah, there's going to be a balance. But the thing is, in the last few years, we've never had any players that have properly strengthened their start 11. Like, even last year, uh, John Lundstrom was the, the, the kind of big signing for us. He, he never really kicked on until Van Bronck just came in. Kind of, hearing all these... Uh, Rumours about the amount of money he was on, things like that. Gerard never played him. And we brought in Ramsey, same thing, hardly played. So it's uh, there's got to be the right players that we sign. 
to improve our living. But uh, as you say, you can't um, have every player starting or, or, or be that level of quality. Still need the Scottish players for the the, the, the UEFA uh, rules. Yeah. Still have those project players. But I'd just like to see more focus on areas of the park that everybody could see need, needed strengthened. And then you can still sign those project players and Scottish players at the side. And, and for what it's worth, I actually like Scott Wright. I think he's a good player. Just uh, I, he's nowhere to start every week. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably the best way to put it. I mean, Gary, do you think that maybe sometimes the fans ask too much? I mean, I know like, as a fan, it's kind of your job to be an idealist. You know what I mean? Um, you're not the one that's dealing with the consequences in terms of the decisions that, that, are, that are made. But... I just feel that everyone's going on, you know, we need a goalkeeper, we need a right winger. That's the thing, right, the right winger one off, off topic a wee bit, you know, everyone's shouting, oh, we need a right winger, we've needed a, a right winger since Gerard came in, not um, realising the fact that Gerard never played with an actual right winger, pretty much, apart from maybe Candace in that first season. So it's like, it's always like right-sided forwards are a right number 10, maybe. Um so I I just find that one quite amusing. But, you know, people, we need a goalkeeper. We need another centre-back. We need another midfielder. We need a right winger. You can't sign all these guys in January. Um, even in the summer as well, you know, you're talking about serious, serious money that's going to need to be spent because even if you take um, the out-of-contract players, Jack, Morelos, Kent, and I'm t- these are sort of the younger ones. I won't mention, obviously, McGregor, Davis and whatnot, but... To replace those three players if they leave on a free, you're talking, you're, you're going to need to spend at least five million quid on each player to get anything anywhere near the levels that they've performed for Rangers over the years. So um, it, it's it's a lot of money that's going to need to be spent. And then when you factor in the fact that a goalkeeper probably will be signed, I think Bill's mentioned it as many times. But I think we're going to look at the goalkeeping situation. So that means we are going to bring in a new goalkeeper. But I think maybe because of the, the situations that, that we're in financially in the sense that, you know, we're obviously not in a position where we can go and spend, you know, 25, 30 million quid on like a brand new squad with no one leaving. That's just not going to happen. So I think, unfortunately, there's probably going to need to be a wee bit of giving and, and taking in some positions where maybe at the goalkeeper, I know the boy Jordan Trafford from Bolton's been mentioned. Um, he's a sort of young guy. You would imagine he wouldn't cost an awful lot. Um, is it maybe a case that for for certain positions we might need to undersell ourselves to, you know, sign better players in other positions? If that kind of makes sense. Yeah, possibly. As I said, we'll have a a budget, and the thing is, you've got to stretch that budget as much as you can. So, if, personally, I think the, the goalkeeper has to be a priority in the summer, mm. and I'd rather see us spend quite a bit of money there rather than a a centre half, for example, or even a, a right winger that everybody's been shouting about. As you say, a, James Tavernier's probably got the best numbers on that right-hand side, so um, we've never needed a right winger. Mm-hmm. But uh, last year, we, we spent £3 million on one, and he doesn't even get in our squad now. I know he's injured, but he's uh, been a bit of a disaster, so, so spending big money on players doesn't necessarily uh, go to mean our success. So it's all about the scouting and things like that and trying to stretch the budget as much as we can. But yeah. I'm sure he, Bill said when he came in, he was going to analyse the squad and whatever. So I'm, I'm confident that he's uh, having enough sway in who we're bringing in, rather than maybe say, looking for the outside in, maybe Ross Wilson had more of a sway than Van Bronckhurst in the summer who we were bringing in. And maybe didn't he suit 
the, the, the system that Dan Broncos wanted to play. So I think uh, the, the way Bill Stockton, he's got a, a big, big scene who comes in. So that's uh, positive for me that it'll be the right players that come in and they will make a difference to the squad. Yeah, it's an interesting one you mentioned there about the whole sort of analysing the squad because, you know, I think, as I say, fans might be expecting too much from the transfer window, Gary. And, you know, people forget that whilst our squad hasn't had the best season, certainly under Gio, Michael Beale's still coming into a new squad, although he's worked with, with probably 80% of the players anyway, but he's probably thinking, Kamara, I can get a tune out of him. Alfredo, I can get a tune out of him. Kent, I can get a tune out of him. So, um, I think, you know, in terms of in terms of that, that is what a new manager should do. It shouldn't just be a case of coming in and spending all sorts of money on a new squad. You need to analyse the squad that you've got there. And it's not even a case of analysing them as players. It's maybe even just having a word with the likes of Kamara, for example, and, you know, figuring out, do you want to be here or do you not? Um, and if Michael Beale thinks that he doesn't want to be here, it's a case of, OK, we'll, we'll try and move you on then. Um, and, and the same for any other player. Obviously, I'm, I'm just using Kamara as an example. That that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen. But no, I thought that was an interesting point. Um, Chris, I mentioned earlier, the only thing really that annoyed me um, about the transfer window, well, I suppose apart from signing a centre-back, I think we could have done with maybe a, you know, someone coming in in that position for a wee bit more cover, even a loan deal or something to get us through. But um, it didn't happen. It was um, the fact that the deals weren't done quickly. Now, by all accounts, and obviously I can't really confi- can't confirm this, but it did seem that Tillman um, and Raskin were pretty keen on coming to Rangers early on. I think Michael Beale mentioned in first week, possibly in January, that you know I've had conversations with, with certain players that we want to bring in, and I have done my end of the bargain. Why is it that you know in like the first week of January? We know that these players want to sign for Rangers. Why Why is it taking, you know, three weeks in Cantwell's case and then four weeks and on deadline day and, and Raskin's case for, for those deals to, to end up getting done? I think the case of Cantwell is probably just him making sure that Rangers was the right move for him. I think if you look at how the last couple of seasons have, have unfolded for him, this is a really big move for him as a kind of pivotal point in his, in his career. Um, I think the manager mentioned last week had also interest down south and interest abroad as well. So I think it was just all parties making sure that Rangers was the right place at the at the right time for him. In terms of Raskin, it basically came down to trying to do a deal with Standard Liège. So the, the deal with Raskin was easy to get done because Rangers wanted to sign him and he wanted to come here. Um, Liège proved uh, tougher negotiators. Um, I think it, it took until the third bid to finally finally get something over the line. Um, but that was just a case of who was who was going to blink first. It was how much Rangers were willing to pay right now for someone they can pick up for free in the summer or how much Liège wanted to, uh, to try and bring in for a guy who they knew they would lose for free in the summer. So I think in, in the end, um, again, all, all parties were happy with that, were happy with that deal. Ultimately, if Raskin goes on and has a successful Rangers career over the next four seasons, if he's here for that long, then the fact that it took an extra week or so in the January window of 2023, I don't think makes that much of a makes that much of a difference. Um, so the squad has has got through what has been a tricky a tricky spell over the last few weeks with no uh, with no damage done. Um, and I, so I think the fact that Raskin is now here and can have the official game at the weekend, hopefully to get his first start, get some more minutes under his belt. Maybe he can't be out the weekend as well. These guys now will really kind of pick up speed over the next 
over the next wee while. Um, and if they can then have an impact in the cup final, have an impact and hopefully going on to win the Scottish Cup. Again, I think the fact that it took an extra couple of days to actually get them in, uh, in the grand scheme of things, it wouldn't make that, uh, that much of a difference. No, I, I think you're, um, you're right there. And it's, it's good to sort of um, see how those deals work out a wee bit. Just maybe from a fan's point of view, I think everyone wants to get deals done, you know, especially when the players are so keen. We know about um, about player power and whatnot. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think you kind of summed it up well there, Chris, in the sense that if Raskin goes on to have a, a great Rangers career, um, will people really care that it took an extra week in January 2023 to, to get him in? Probably not. And um, we all know what happened the last time Rangers signed a Belgian in the January transfer window. Um, let's just keep that in mind for the next few months anyway. But um, sort of going off um, from the football, uh, the last topic that I wanted to cover was a wee bit of an interesting one that I've kind of seen on Twitter uh, the last couple of days. And that is uh, the Subway Loyal that everyone likes to allude to. The ones that leave Ibrox um, with about 10-15 minutes to go um, some weeks. Gary, I always find this topic a wee bit weird, but I think it's interesting as well, so that's why I kind of want to talk about it. I, I don't want to sit here and tell people what they can and can't do with their time and their money, etc., because I'm not really that way inclined. Um, what I will say, though, is, you know, I, I mean, I can't remember when I've left a game early, to be honest. I mean, I have done it, but that's maybe been um, a couple game I've been like five nothing up and you're, you're wanting to go down to the pub quickly so just to avoid the cues um, when the game's done I mean it is a weird one because I know especially Rangers fans they travel from from all over you know Britain sometimes further afield to, to get here so you're talking about getting buses trains ferries flights even um, to get here and you know people do have other plans and commitments but I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm in a lucky position. I live like a 15 minute drive for Ibrox, pretty much, so I can come and go as I please when I want. It's not really going to make a, a difference to me if I miss the first subway or whatever. But what what's your kind of overall thoughts on the situation? Do you think it? I mean, I'm yesterday's game in particular. You know, it's two one with 10 15 minutes to go. The game's tight. It's not as if we're running away with it, winning three, four, five, now the game's finished. It's a tight game and you don't know what's going to happen in those closing closing stages. So what's your sort of overall thoughts on, on that situation? I don't think it's ever going to change, to be honest. It's been a subject that's been brought up quite a few times over the years. Um, I, I, I don't understand that. People must just get frustrated. As we, we know, the, the crowd at Ibrox are a bit mental, shall we say, at times. And, and their, their views and oh, I'm trying, trying to be nice here <laughs> but, but you know yourself you've seen a, a poor shot in 80 minutes or whatever you can hear all the chairs gone you can, you can hear it is I just I, I don't know I think it, loads of things will depend the weather and things like that if it's folk I just want to get up the road but personally I've, I've done it a handful of times myself but it's not something I've I done a lot I, I don't think it's something that's going to change a lot of these guys are, are setting their ways and I always leave it this time and, and it's just no matter what happens as soon as that number hits in the clock they're away so I don't think it's going to change I, it kind of always has been been the case Gary I just I don't know I, it's like it just seems to be that this weekend it's just cropped up I think it's one of those topics that like everyone will have a big say on it every so often and then like it'll die down again you used to get me Craig the thing I used to laugh at is when I had my season ticket before there was the same kind of guys would come in maybe 10, 15 minutes late 
and then they'd go away 15 minutes before the full-time whistle. And I'm like, they've paid the same price as a season ticket as me and kind of after losing half an hour every week, every second week. So I says, it's a waste of money. I says, these, you're never going to change these people. That's what they, what they do. And they'll get to say they were at the game and had a season ticket. But maybe nine times out of ten, they'd rather be in the pub than actually at the football. Aye, well, I think we've, we've felt that a few times this season, to be honest, Gary. Um, I mean, see, like, down south, for example, I mean, I was at St James's Park for a game last season um, and got a pal that's a Newcastle fan and I went down and I was, you know, delighted to be able to buy a beer in the concourse. Um, but I got told off of them that, like, you get guys at, well, at Newcastle anyway, I would assume this is the same for every English club, they basically come in and all they do is spend their time at the concourse drinking the beers and watching the game on like the wee, the wee telly. And it was weird because Alan St. Maxman scored a belter of a goal and you heard the cheer like 10 seconds before it was on the telly. So you knew the goal was coming and it was just like, oh, I just... I suppose people can do what they want, but I mean, I suppose when you're paying that much money, especially down south for a, a season ticket, and that, as well now, to be honest, with the... The prices of football, obviously, you know, the the Champions League prices, the cup prices and cost of my jails and whatnot, you know, it's it's expensive. But, um, but I suppose it's just um, the way that some people feel sometimes. Chris, have you maybe got a wee opinion on this one at all? I didn't actually notice it yesterday. Usually the last 10 minutes of games, I've got my head down and I'm sitting clattering away to try and get my stuff uh, filed mm. on the whistle. So I wasn't, every time I looked up, it was just to kind of see what was happening on the on the pitch, didn't really take in what was going uh, going on in the stands. I didn't really notice the uh, the exodus as much. I know it's something I've seen uh, commented on, obviously, online over the last uh, 24 hours or so. Much like you guys have said, it's something that's happened for a long time. It still happens today and it'll happen for a long time in the future. Um, personally, I don't quite understand it. I don't get why you would why you'd make the effort to go to the game just to chuck it 10, 15 minutes early every single week. Um, if you have to get away to get to work or you've got childcare commitments or something like that and you need to go and try and beat the traffic by all means but you know, we see that time after time guys leaving 10, 15 minutes week after week and I just don't quite I don't quite get it go and, go and enjoy the game as the entire game go and enjoy the day as the, as the entire day if you can uh, but I said we've had this conversation has been doing the rounds for a long time I'll do the rounds again uh, I'm sure the manager and the players would prefer if it didn't happen, especially in, again if you're five 0 up against a, a lower league team in a cup game. By all means, uh, you can maybe understand that a wee bit more. When a game like that, when it's tight, Ross County then look up and see now. Now they think this game's won. They think there's mm. uh, this is a this is done and dusted here. But we'll go and we'll go and show them. We'll go and fire a couple of long balls into the box and see how they and see how they like it. Um, so I'm sure the manager and the, and the players would prefer if it didn't happen. Um, but what what they do to stop it, um, if anything, I'm not I'm not quite sure. Yeah, but I don't think we're quite the the juncture of um, giving people managers points for for staying in till the the bitter end. Um, but the way that things are going, who knows? We might even get Charles to stay at the bitter end. But I mean, that that's another um, question for all day. I actually seen um, before we finish up someone on Twitter comment about. Um, a supporters bus that they get that leaves at 4.50 every Saturday for a 3 o'clock game no matter what 
And I'm just like, I think you need to get a new bus driver, guys. But um, no, I thought that was an interesting point to have just before we finish up. So, um, guys, thank you very much for listening at home. Um, I know we've had a couple of wee issues tonight, but I certainly hope we, we entertained you. Um, just a wee reminder that tomorrow um, the podcast will be available on all your usual podcast providers, such as Google, iTunes uh, and Spotify. And I'm pretty sure you can get it on YouTube um, right after we're finished here today. And um, all that's left for me to do now is thank my guests for coming on this evening Chris thanks very much for coming on no problem at all oh, always happy to come on and catch up with you catch no, up with you soon. absolutely brilliant and Gary thanks very much for joining us for the, the limited time that you were on uh, part timer <laughs> aye you, you can be the uh, the gels net um, subway loyal um, but no <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys thanks very much once again for tuning in mate. we really appreciate all your support and obviously any likes retweets um, and subscriptions that you can help out with um, please do so and spread the word about the Gelsnet podcast um, we'll be back on Friday um, to preview uh, the Thistle game on Sunday and the Cup which is obviously another massive one for Rangers as we look to do at least a Cup double this season so I've been Craig Gray, I've been your host of the Gelsnet podcast this evening thanks very much for watching and we'll see you on Friday bye bye <laughs>